wrapping up here, um, one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to play that song is because I really would love to get everyone in the church plug into a life group. Um, if this church is your home, it'd be great for you to get closer to other people. Um, here's the, here's the dilemma we're running into. We actually have so many people want to join life groups. We need more life group leaders as well. So if you feel like that God has been laying on your heart, uh, the desire to be involved in the life groups, maybe you have the spiritual maturity to lead a life group or to facilitate a life group. Definitely come and talk to me or Emily Monifo, uh, after the service, or you can fill out your card inside your family news bulletin and let us know you would like to be a part of a life group. And we'll try to plug you into one because that's really when you're talking about spiritual growth, you're talking about getting connected, building relationships within the body. This is where it happens here at Grace Chapel in our life groups. Okay, so we've been um, in a series called Stand. Does it really matter what you believe? And this whole series is really about apologetics, how to defend your faith, how to answer the critic when they ask you different questions. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone at school. Maybe someone in your family. They have all these questions, and sometimes we don't have all the answers. So this series was designed to help you answer the questions that you're constantly being asked. And one of the questions that I am always being asked comes up when it, when it, when it comes up to the, the conversation about money. They, they talk a lot about money. They love to talk about those TV preachers who come in and they, uh, they, they ask old people for their life savings or whatever they do. They, you know, people come up with scenarios sometimes that are just kind of silly, but um, I'm sure in the past somewhere it's happened and they, they come up with this and they say, you see, what's going on there? You know, why is the church always, or are these people always asking for money? They, they say that, uh, you know, organized religion is a scam. That's their favorite thing. Organized religion is a scam. And it's kind of hard sometimes to answer those questions. when you see articles like this, um, you know, uh, you know, a, a pastor seeks $60 million for his own. That was actually mine, but it didn't work. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, when, they, when you read things like this, and I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know all the details. I don't know if they really do need a $60 million plane. I personally find that to be a little extravagant um, and very hard to defend because if you're if you're dealing with people like I deal with people all the time, they do ask these kinds of questions, you know, about, you know, my when my grandmother was on her deathbed, the pastor came and said that you're not going to go to heaven if you don't leave all the money to the church and things like that. So you have that kind of thing going on sometimes and then it spreads around. And so people get the idea that organized religion is, is a scam. And so the question is how? Do we respond to the skeptic? And the only way that we're going to be able to respond to a skeptic when they ask those kinds of questions is to understand it yourself, to understand the broader perspective yourself of tithing and giving. Why do we why should we or why do we give? What does it mean to be a steward of God's resources? We talk about that stewardship. And what does that mean? So if, because if we don't understand what that means, we're going to have a very difficult time explaining it to someone else and why we do what we do. So I read this uh, article in Leadership Magazine by Eric Holstrand, and he told this story. I thought it was really good. He said, while I was preaching one Sunday, an elderly woman, Mary, fainted. That wasn't the good part. I don't mean to. Uh, I said that and I thought, this is a pretty tough story. Uh, Mary fainted and struck her head on the end of a pew. Immediately, an EMT in the congregation called an ambulance. As they strapped her to a stretcher and got ready to head out the door, Mary regained consciousness. She motioned to her daughter to come near. Everyone thought she was summoning her strength to convey what could be her final words. The daughter leaned over until her ear was at her mother's mouth. And she said, my offering is in my purse. 
My offering is in my purse. I love that story because there is someone who understands stewardship. There's someone who that, that's the kind of attitude that's the, that kind of that kind of attitude is at the heart of what I want to talk about this morning. Why do we give? What is the purpose behind it? You see, this woman's words showed that this was the most important thing to her. Being a good steward of what God had given her was the most important thing. She regained her consciousness. And the first thing she says to her, her daughter is my my offering is in my purse. That was a part of her act of worship. And she wasn't going to leave her body before she worshiped in that way. Stewardship is important. And here's a really great definition definition I really love. It says using God given abilities, right? Using God given abilities to manage God given resources to accomplish God ordained results. So that is God has given us everything that we have, everything, the breath that we breathe. God has given us every, any, everything. And we are to manage those in order to bring about God-ordained results. And the results are varied and many. But you have to let the person know is asking the question, this is why we do what we do. There's the reason behind it. They need to understand the reason, the heart behind the stewardship, the heart behind the giving. It's important. That's important. The idea that definition I gave, I gave you, because stewardship is is um, it's not just about giving to your church. OK, that's a part of it. But there's more to it. There's also the idea of sharing your skills and your talents and your abilities. But that's only a part of it. If we said it's only giving or it's only sharing my gifts, talents, my, my, my talents or abilities, that, that would be fine. But that's not really, that doesn't really get to the heart of what we're talking about. Now, I want to stop for just a moment. Uh, when I talk about giving your resources, I talk about giving your abilities. One of the things we could really use right now is anyone who has a medical background, we're, we're starting a new business tree called Emergency Online. And it's going to be a phenomenal resource where it's a, it's a business, if you will. It's a business tree because all the money that self-sustaining enterprises will get from this business tree will go into the, into the lives of orphans and widows and people in need. So if you have a medical background, we could use you right now um, to finish off the video that we're putting together that will be online. So if you have that background, please, um, you know, give me your card, uh, text me this week, give me an email, and I'll connect you with the right people and we'll get that going. But that's just another way. That's just another way that you can use the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given you to impact his kingdom. So if if I said that stewardship is not just about what I give, what I can give, and it's not just about what I can do, what is it about? And see, if you can't answer that question for yourself, then how are you going to answer the question when someone else asks it? Okay. We all need to understand why we do what we do, no matter what it is. Stewardship is about the heart behind the giving. So it's not just about what you give. It's not just about how you serve or what you do for God. Stewardship is really the what is the heart behind the giving. In other words, it's a matter of the attitude that stands behind our giving and stands behind our service. My heart my passion, my attitude. So it, it's not about what you give or, or you know, how you serve God all the time. It's why you do it. Why do you do it? 
there's a lot of there's a lot of cults out there. There's a lot of you know things going on and people people serving, if you will. But why? It's the why behind it all. If you understand why, we can give a better answer to the to the one who's to the skeptic who's asking the questions. We can impact that person's life because here this whole series is not about arguing with people. It's about sharing the answers with people when they ask in order to lead them into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That is the ultimate goal. And and people not only want to see the or hear the intellectual answer, they really want to know the why behind your answer as well. The heart behind the answer. We talked about that so often in the past few months. What is the heart behind when people ask questions? They're usually not just intellectual. They're emotional questions. They some people see that they see an article like I just showed you or they'll watch a person on television or they'll go to a church and they'll see some some spiritual abuse going on and they get frustrated because they truly want to know God. They would like to understand God better. They need God in their lives as this God shaped vacuumed in the heart of every person that only God can fill and they want it filled. But then they see this kind of stuff and it frustrates them. So we need to get to the point in our lives where we understand the question that they're asking is not just an intellectual question. And they're trying to reject everything you're going to say, but they have an emotional side to it. Maybe someone cheated them. Maybe something happened to someone close to them. And we're the only people they're asking right now. And we need to give it, give an answer that will satisfy their, their minds as well as their hearts. So this morning, I want to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and so to really help us understand the heart behind or the attitude behind stewardship. You may think, oh, Good Samaritan, what's that got to do with stewardship? Well, I'm going to show you because I think it really applies to what we're, we're talking about here. Because if you understand why these things, why you give, then that will help you lead that skeptic into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, before I move on, I want to say that I do not believe that we should defend someone who is misusing the name of God or spiritually abusing other people when it comes to money. Okay, I don't think you should throw people on the bus and carry on, but I don't think you you have to defend. If someone within the church is doing something not biblically correct, going against a biblical worldview, it's okay for you to say to that skeptic or that person asking the question, hey, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I feel the same way when I see that, except it bothers me even more because I'm a I'm a believer. And that really has a negative effect on me as well. But now let me share with you why I do what I do when it comes to tithing, when it comes to giving uh, of my resources. So just admit that the world is filled with with some some misguided people, whether they're inside the church or outside the church. But that does not nullify the truth of your faith just because someone else is a knucklehead and does things that are wrong. OK, and they say they're Christians doesn't nullify the truth of your faith. I know it reflects on Christ and that's a, that's a that's a bad thing, but it doesn't nullify the truth of what Jesus Christ said. So there are three attitudes that arise out of this parable, parable of the Good Samaritan, that will help us in our understanding of stewardship. Three, three different attitudes. The first attitude is what I call the pirate attitude. Take what you take what you can and give nothing back. I don't know if you ever watched those pirate movies that Disney puts out, but you know, they always take what you can and give nothing back. It's the attitude that basically I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get as much as I can and keep it for myself. If I cheat you, 
And honestly, there are people within the church, okay, with pastors, ministry people who don't know the Lord as they don't they don't know the Lord at all, okay? But they got in the church somehow. They they thought they could manipulate someone, and they they do that, and they're kind of pirates, if you will. And so you have to ask yourself the question: Who? Where do I fit in these three? These three attitudes. The first one I say is the pirate attitude. Take what you can, give nothing back. This is the attitude, what's yours is mine. This attitude represents the thieves on the road in the story that we're going to tell in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 30. And it says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. I think everyone would recognize that this kind of attitude is wrong. But in reality, I think there's still a little bit of pirate in a whole lot of us. Okay, that 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 little that selfishness that you'll do what you need to do in order to get what you need to get. I have had situations in my life when I was working in ministry. Okay, and we have these business trees through self-sustaining enterprises. And again, all the resources from those business trees goes to help with people in need. So we have these things and I'll invite people in to help. And those people will then try their best to go around me in some ways and, you know, do an end run and try to get resources for themselves and could care less about the orphan. That, my friends, is the attitude of a pirate. What can I do for me? Take what you can and they can and they can have a smile on their face and they can say all the Christianese they want to. But the reality is it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. And to heck with everybody else, including the orphans. So God has a challenge for us in Malachi chapter three, verses eight through ten. He says this to Israel. Will will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. You are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is the only place he really says this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God says, you know what, if you if you will, if you will live in a sense like this good Samaritan, if you will give of yourselves, I will pour back blessing and blessing and blessing upon you. And it doesn't just have to do with money. I said this in the first service. Honestly, you get these people on TV sometimes where people will say, if you give a hundred, God will give you a a thousand. If you give a thousand, God will give you ten thousand. If you give ten thousand, everybody's like, yeah, they get all worked up. Yeah. And I'm yelling, yeah, why don't you give all your money? And see, good God give you 10 times as much because here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. God is not obligated to respond to people who are giving a hundred to get a thousand. That's not the right heart. That's not the heart of giving that God has. We're talking about attitude. That's a pirate attitude. If I give this, I'll get that. If I give this, I'll give that. Is God going to bless you? Absolutely. Does God bless you financially? Sometimes? Absolutely. A single mom walked out of here this morning and said to me, next time you're doing this, let me know. I'll give a testimony. She said, I started giving in November of this year, the first time I ever tithe. And she said it was the first time I never had to worry about my bills from then till now. I hadn't had to worry about anything. And I thought that what a great testimony. God blessed her in that way. But is God always going to bless in that way? I'm not sure he could bless you in relationships. He can bless you in other ways. He can give you opportunities. But the point is, if you're going to give, you give with the right heart. 
You give with the right heart, the attitude behind it. See, when people say that people, other people might say, well, that was, you know, Pastor Jeff, you're talking this, but that was under the law. That was a law. When you were under law, you were obligated, blah, blah, blah. I, I agree. We're not under law. We're under grace. We're, we're, we're completely under grace. I agree. But here's the thing. I don't believe that, that God's feelings on this subject have changed one bit. Okay. Because again, it's an attitude of the heart. That's what God is looking for, an attitude of the heart. And I say that because Jesus Christ talked more about money than anything else in the New Testament. Why? Because it's an attitude of the heart. He knew if that was going to lead you astray, you were going to become ineffective for his kingdom. If money is your God, if that's what you're holding on to, if you don't have the heart of someone who just wants to give and serve, that's going to affect your relationship with Christ. And so he talked about it a lot. What was really, really important? See, if you think about it, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, God was focused on the attitude. God was focused on the desire. God was focused on the passion. And that's where we should start. That's how we should think. That's how we should look at the subject, an attitude of the heart. See, God doesn't need your money. And people, when I say that, someone actually said to me one time, well, why are you guys, why is the church always asking for money? It's a different, there's a different subject here. God has established Grace Chapel. Grace Chapel is a body of believers. This, there's lights on in here. That shock you? Right? There are lights on. You're a little, maybe a little warm, maybe you're a little cool, whatever, but there's heat on and then there's air conditioning on and then, I'm here and I'm investing in you and other pastors and other staff are investing and we're doing things. Right. Obviously, there's the church, the local church need resources. We're the body of Christ. This is our family, right? No big deal. What God is, what I'm saying here is that God doesn't need your money. He's God. But what he wants is your heart. He wants your passion. He wants your, he wants your appreciation for who he is and what he has done. Think about this. And this is, uh, this, this analogy. I'm just giving you an analogy here. Why do you tip someone when you go to your favorite restaurant and there's a waiter or waitress? Why do you tip that person? Why do you tip them? It's not a law that you have to tip them. You're under no obligation to tip that person. So why, why do you do it? Why do you do that? You do it because you want to show appreciation for what that person has done for you. You appreciate them. So you want to give them something. It's why we enjoy, I don't know, we all do this. We, we, as you get older, you enjoy giving more than you enjoy receiving. And why do we give? We give to the people that we love because we want to show them how much we love them, how we feel about them. It's not an obligation to give someone a gift. It's a desire. I want to give to this person. I want them to show, I want to show how I feel about this person. I remember Deb's cousin Dawn lived with us for a few years, about, you know, 15 or 16 years ago, maybe a little further back. And uh, she worked at Pizza Tower, which is, you know, you, you guys know where Pizza Tower is, a lot of you do. When I was, when I was first here, we first moved here in 91. Um, that was one of the only restaurants around here. And you can get from here to, was it, Fields Ertle, right? Over in Fields Ertle exit in about three minutes, okay? <laughs> Not anymore. Um, so we would go over there. She worked there and she would come home sometime and she would say, you know, it really bothers me. You get these, you get these whole group of people in there, you know, like 20 people in a party and you work so hard and you give so hard and you, you sacrifice and you're kind and you're trying to serve them. And then they don't, they don't leave any tip whatsoever. And she said, worse yet, sometimes Christians will come in, they'll leave a tract. Amen. That's right. 
Hey, let me tell you something. If you don't, if a person works really hard and you, your appreciation is to give them a tract, okay, a Christian thing that says, you know, you're going to go to hell, little fire flames on the front of it or whatever. Um, do you really think they're going to read that if you don't tip them? Let me tell you how they'll read it. Get a $30 meal and give them a $30 tip and they'll read it. Okay. Show them appreciation. What I do is show appreciation to people sometimes is I'll give them a very generous tip and then I'll call the manager over and I will say, I want to tell you, because managers are always like, they come to your table like, oh my gosh, not again. And you're, and what you say is this John is amazing. What a great job John has done. And so you're giving of your resources, but you're giving of your time as well to call that person over and invest in the life of that person because you appreciate them. You're giving of yourself out of appreciation. And Dawn would come home and she she would say things like, I was robbed. They cheated me. Now, again, the people were under no law or obligation, okay, to give her a tip. But if she was kind and she served them well, a gratuity is a way to say, I appreciate what you have done. And I thought to myself, maybe I shouldn't use that analogy because God's not like a servant. I thought, no, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. He died for us. He gave of himself for us. And I don't, I don't serve God. I don't obey God. And I don't give to God because I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get it if I don't. I do all three of those things because I love him with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength. And then love what? Your neighbor as yourself, right? That's why you do it, because you love God so, so much. That's why we want to give back. And as you're talking to the skeptic and they're asking these questions and they're all worked up, you're sharing from your heart. Here's why I give. Here's the reason behind it. Here's what the church does with the resources I give. Some of you gave to help those, those martyrs in the Egyptian martyr. The Christians who were martyred in, uh, who were from Egypt. We gave about $2,100, $100 to each family. It's not a lot, but you know, we, we took up an offering, a little offering on a Sunday. Here's the cool thing. I think, um, I think Joseph, Joseph, you're here. Are we going to get some pictures and some testimonies? Yeah, because of Joseph, because, you know, Joseph, got, he's Egyptian, right? Background, your mom still lives there, correct, or around the area, in the village. We're, gonna, we're actually going to be able to give that money directly to them and then hear back from them, which I think is really cool. But that's something you could share with the skeptic and say, we, our church did this, and here was the response, and here's how we're impacting people's lives. Bring it to an emotional level. Bring it to a spiritual level. Bring it to a heart level for why we do what we do. This is so important. You see, when people attack the church or Christianity for taking talking about money, let them know the tithe is not just some obligation that we have. We're under law. We're not under law. We're under grace. But it's important to us. It's something we desire to do because it is an act of worship, just like singing, just like when you go to work and you share Christ with someone. Giving is an act of worship. We do it because we love God, because if we really love God, we show that we show that through what we do for God. We invest our lives in, in the kingdom of God. We want to see the kingdom of God increased. We want to see people's lives transformed. We want to see God moving in the people's lives around us. And we want to show people, we want to show God, if you will, that we appreciate and have passion for Jesus Christ. We have passion for him. That's why we do what we do. And here's what you're doing when you, when you give. Listen, when you give, you tell the world, you tell your, your family and your kids most of all. You tell your kids where your priorities are. 
You're telling them you should let your children know that you give. You should make a deal about it in your home. Oh, we're going to give our tithe on Sunday and ask your kids when they make some money on this. Hey, you're going to you're going to tithe a little bit of that toward whatever. Well, what can I give to? Well, you can give to maybe missions or maybe and make it a part of the family because they will see that if it's a priority in your life, it'll be a priority in their lives and let them know why you do it. Because I love the Lord with all of my heart. And this these resources go to impact people's lives and further the cause of Jesus. Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is we need to put our money where our mouth is. If our kids see us doing only this, but we don't put our money where our mouths are, what what good is that? They're going to see that. They're going to see right through it. All the talk in the world is going to be worth nothing if we don't back up what we say with our lives, with our resources, with our time. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's really cool. I read this story and I wanted to share it with you because there, there's when we know our God and when we're talking to someone else, we need to help them understand that we don't see ourselves as owners of what we have, but as stewards of what we have. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And when you when you begin to understand that in your life, it can change your life in so many ways. I read this story and I want to read it to you. It says the very first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to get set goals and follow through. At the age of 23, he became a millionaire. By the age of 50, a billionaire. Every decision, attitude, and relationship was tailored to, to create his own personal power and wealth. But three years after that, at the age of 53, he became ill. His entire body became racked with pain, and he lost all the hair in his head. In complete agony, the world's only billionaire could buy anything he wanted, but he could only digest milk and crackers. An associate wrote he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. His personal, highly skilled physician predicted that he would be dead within a year. That year passed by agonizingly slow. As he approached death, he awoke one morning with a vague remembrance of a dream. He could barely recall the dream, but he knew it had something to do with not being able to take with him the successes and possessions of this world into the next world. The man who could control the business world suddenly realized he was not in control of his own life. He was left with a choice. He called his attorneys, his accountants, his managers, and announced that he wanted to channel his assets to hospitals, research centers, and missions work. On that day, John D. Rockefeller established his foundation. This new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, Cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of discoveries resulting from his choice is enormous. But perhaps the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is that the moment he began to give back a portion of all that he had earned, his body chemistry was altered so significantly that he got better. He, it looked as if he would not, he would, looked as if he would die at 53, but he lived till he was 98. Rockefeller, it's, this is the author saying, Rockefeller learned gratitude and gave back from his wealth. Doing so made him whole. It is one thing to be healed. It is another thing to be made whole. I love that story. I love it. When the world looks at us, my friends, what do they see? Pirate or passion? What do they see? What does a skeptic see? 
when they look at when they're asking you the question, do they see pirate or do they see passion? The second the second attitude goes along with the first. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Not just, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the pirates are just after taking yours and their own. This one is what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Verses 31 and 32 say this. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Jesus is saying that these religious leaders pass by the man. They went, they went right, he, they went, a priest and a Levite. These were supposed to be the spiritual leaders, okay? These were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And, and to bring it back into our world, these were the doers in the church. These were the doers in the congregation. These are the people who looked really spiritual, who acted, who acted the part. They were, they, they, they were trained by God, but when they came upon this man, Okay, they thought, oh, this is just way too much effort. This is just way, way, way too much effort. In order, in order for them to help him, they would have to give something up. They're, I mean, they'd have to give something. It would have to be their, their time, maybe their resources or something they really loved or, or their personal comfort, comfort, something that was important to them. In order for them to, to, to step out and give to someone else, it would take some real sacrifice on their parts. And they're like, man, this is just a little, little too much. They were okay with doing the religious stuff, right? They were, they were fine with doing the religious stuff. But when it came time to sacrifice, all bets were off. They weren't going to sacrifice. I'll go through the motions. I'll do the rituals. I'll whatever, you know, in every church to have your kind of ritualistic ideas and things. I'll, go, I'll do that. I'll serve here a little bit. But when it comes to true sacrifice, wait, wait a second. All bets are off. Their attitude is what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Religious people will do what is required and that's all they'll do. What is required. I found it very, someone told me another story uh, a couple weeks ago. They said that uh, when I was talking about this whole sermon, they said when they were growing up in their church, man, can you imagine doing this in the 21st century? They would publicize, they would, they would lay out everyone's giving. Like they would show who gave what. The Jones family gave this and the, you know, can you imagine? But they did that. And see, that's what I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree with that. And I'll tell you why, because that's extrinsic motivation. I think we should have intrinsic motivation. I think people should, when you're talking about a skeptic, you're talking about someone who's asking a specific question about why does or how could or whatever else. They want answers that come from the heart as well as the head. And, and forcing people, making people, embarrassing people into giving is not really what God is talking about here. It should be a desire of our hearts and people should be able to see it as a desire of our hearts. Okay, the third attitude is what's mine is yours. What's mine is yours, and I will give you at all cost. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I Number one, God is first in my life. Love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. I love God first, and because I love God first, and for what he's done for me, I appreciate him so much. All of my resources belong to him. Therefore, I will invest in the lives of others. I put them first. Many of you may not know the name Daniel Rorba. Okay. Daniel Rorba is a modern day hero. 
Daniel Rorba went to Columbine High School, and he was there the day that two of the students went on a rampage, a terror kind of rampage, killing other students. And Daniel had a straight shot for the door, and he was running toward the door. And he could have been out. That could have been it. You know, who would not run out the door and be done with it? Uh, and he saved, thank God, the bullets are flying everywhere. Instead, Daniel stopped, and instead of having the door coming closed, coming closed, people not being able to get out on a, on a straight run, he opened the door and held the door open for all of his classmates to run out. And the process of holding the door open and helping other people, be, get, you know, really save their lives, he was shot and killed. He gave up the most precious thing that you can give up your life for his classmates. He sacrificed himself. He gave till he couldn't give anymore. That is the attitude that we're talking about here. Verses 33 through 37 says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Listen, think about cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. The next day he took two denarii and gave it to them into the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. He said, When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Okay, here, keep keep it running. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's the attitude. If the world sees that, they stop asking the question for the most part. The world sees this kind of behavior, this kind of attitude, this kind of heart, okay? See, the the Good Samaritan wasn't trained in ministry, okay? He didn't have, most likely, he didn't have any more, they didn't tell us this, any more time, talents, treasures, resources, whatever else, than anyone else who just walked on by. I'm sure his day was just as busy as everyone else's day that walked by the guy, right? He was just as busy as anyone else, but then he stopped, When the others didn't, what made the difference? It was his heart. It was his attitude. Was it inconvenient? You're darn right. It was inconvenient. Look at all he went through. He had to think about that guy on the side of the road. You got to bandage him up. You got to take him on your donkey. You got to take him, drive him to the store. I mean, drive him to the hospital, tell the hospital anything expenses you have. I'll take care of those. It would take up days of your life. Was it inconvenient? You're darn right. It was inconvenient. You're darn right. Think about that. Did he give up his possessions? Oh, man. He used his donkey. He was given his resources, everything. Did he give up the possessions for this man? Yes, he did. But his love for God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, led to love your neighbor as yourself. See, this is what took precedence for him. Caring for someone else. Investing in someone else. His attitude is what made the story worth telling. This person's attitude So what kind of attitude do we have? Think about it. What is our attitude? You have that first pirate attitude or what's mine is mine or what's mine is yours. What kind of attitude do we have? Because if you have the third attitude, when you're asked the question, you're going to be confident in answering the question. Here's why we do what we do. Here's why I give my resources to invest in the lives of other people. See, if you want to answer the question in a way that impacts the life of the person asking the question, then you need to stand out. You can't be like the first two. You need to be like the third one. You need to stand out. You need to stand up. You need to set yourself apart. So when you answer the question, the person says, what church do you go to and where can I give and when can I give and how can I give? You win them over. 
because of the attitude of your heart and how you live your life. You see, mo- you will stand out. We talk about stand. Stand does it really matter what you believe. It does. And it matters if you stand up and do what is right before God. Because here's the thing. Most people on the planet, the majority, the vast majority, think about themselves first. What can I get? How can I accumulate? How can I take from others so I have more for myself? It's all about my needs. It's all about me. They believe everything they have. If you ask people, they believe everything that they own belongs to them. My house belongs to me. My stuff belongs to me. My 401k belongs to me. My savings account belongs to me. My car belongs to me. My pants belong to me. My shirt belongs to me. My ring belongs to me. Everything belongs to me. That's the attitude. You see, we have to have a different attitude because we are stewards of what God has given to us. We need to have a different thought process. We need to understand what the Bible teaches. And it teaches that we are stewards. A steward is someone who takes, who basically takes care of something else for someone. You're taking care of something for someone. You're taking care of someone else's resources. They don't belong to you. You don't owe them. You don't own them. God owns it all. He has given me responsibility while I walk on on this earth, which is not my home. Heaven is my home. I'm passing through. And as I'm passing through, he's given me resources and I'm supposed to use those resources to impact the lives of other people and to glorify him. So if I'm going to be a steward for God, then I need to come to the realization that my time is not my own. My money is not my own. My possessions are not my own. My relationships are not my own. My treasures are not my own. They belong to him, not to me. I am here to manage what God has given to me. That puts it that, that if, if Christians live that out, you wouldn't have people behaving the way they behave in churches sometimes when it comes to money, because they would want they would not want to receive more. They would want to give more from the top down. That's where it starts from the top down. See, maybe the reason some people are skeptical is because they see us living like pirates or the attitude, what's mine is mine. Maybe they're, maybe they're seeing more of that. Maybe they have a legitimate gripe sometimes when they see that kind of behavior. They don't see a good Samaritan giving of themselves and sacrificing for themselves. They see sometimes Christians or people within the church who talk a good game. They talk a good game. But at the end of the day, they don't live it out in their lives. They are believers who have that the first two attitudes that it's mine. It's all about me. I'm going to keep what I have. Sure, I'll give little pittance here and there. And then on top of that, they often see the skeptic sees a weak, apathetic, pathetic church begging for the scraps off the table. Pastors up front wringing their hands in, in complete worry. How are they going to pay the mortgage or keep the lights on or, or how are they going to pay staff or whatever else? And then that attitude, they see that as a guy gets up there and in a weak, pathetic way has to ask and beg for something. And so then then people look at that and say, well, that's pretty pathetic. That, that's, a, that's a pretty pathetic, um, where, where, where's the power here? See, it reflects not only on the Christian, but then it begins to reflect on their God. Where's the power? You all talk a good game. 
Y'all talk it up. You, you guys will, you'll say this and you'll say how much you sacrifice. Now you love Jesus. Here comes Easter. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, but we're not willing to give of our time, our talents, our treasures. And the world sees that and, and kind of, I think gets a little frustrated by it. Cause I'll tell you why they get a little frustrated because they desperately want to see people living out their faith because they so desperately need it. And they want someone to be real and they want to see something that's powerful. They want to, they want to live out that resurrection. They don't even know what they're talking about, but they want to see that resurrection power lived out through the body of Christ. Gandhi even said, you know what? I love your Christ. I'm not sure about your Christians. He said, if there were, if Christians lived out what Jesus Christ taught, there'd be no Hindus in India is what he said. And that's what we're talking about here. And then God, God, I'm going to come back to a verse. God, you know, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not sure if Christians will take him up on it, but he's thrown out a challenge. He's thrown down the gauntlet. I'm going to read it again. This is what he says. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have, you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And, 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 and what will be the result? of this giving look at this this is the answer what's the result of this kind of attitude what's the result of taking god up on this okay what's the result of it here's the result then all the nations the skeptics will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land says the land says the lord almighty see listen here's something cool if he if this promise was good for those who were under the law if this promise was 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 given when we, people were under law how much more do you think is God is God going to be faithful? How much more do you think is God going to bless for those who are under grace, who do it from the from an attitude, a desire to worship him, a desire to have a passion for him, a desire to reach out to a world and give to that world because we love him so much. How much more? And I'm going to say it again, okay? You don't you ever give to any organization, any church, whatever else, if it's given begrudgingly. It's a complete waste of your spiritual time because God's looking at the heart. God is looking at the attitude and we should look at the same thing. But I start to think, my gosh, can you imagine? Can you just imagine if we would live out that challenge? Challenge, he's, he's throwing, he threw it right out in front of us. Test me in this, he said, and watch what I do. And then you, you, you layer on top of that in Philippians, Ephesians chapter three, God can do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Can you imagine if we, Christians lived that out? I think skeptics would walk away and just not even ask the question. Because they would see so much power in our lives. And that's what we have to strive for. If we're not there yet, we have to strive for that. The best way to answer a skeptic when he asks this question is not to defend, okay, selfish, greedy behavior or materialism, okay, whether it comes from inside the church or outside the church, not to defend it. But then also to live out a biblical worldview in a way that shows them how we steward our resources and why we do what we do. Tell them the stories about all the wells we've drilled. Tell them the stories about the lives that have been changed. Tell them the stories about all the things that are happening and say it in such a way, if you honestly mean it, that there's excitement and passion in your voice for all that God is doing and how he's blessing us so abundantly. That, my friends, will answer the question. That, that will not only answer the question, they might even show up here because they want to see what you're so excited about, 
why you're so excited to give these resources to God. That will change their lives. That will impact their lives. And that's what we as believers need to do. We don't want to be pirates. We don't want to act like what's mine is mine. We want to say what's mine is yours because I don't own it. God owns it. I'm going to pour out my resources to those who need, who are in great need. And I'm going to see the world change. And when we do that, the world will change, including the skeptic. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. I pray, dear God, that you would impress upon our hearts what your desire is for our lives, whether it's our time, whether it's the talents that we have, whether it's the treasures that we have that you would impress upon our hearts, how you want us to use what you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.